an ambidextrous experience as I try and operate the, the clicker as well as the microphone. There you go. The things that they didn't teach me at college. Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. It's page 1188 in my uh, Bible. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. And may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit and soul and body be blameless at his coming. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Well, I don't suppose the name of Ambrose Dallin or of Miss Secker will ever hit the headlines or that you've ever heard of them. By today's standards, they may have been somewhat odd, even eccentric people. Uh, I have so little knowledge about them when I look back. Ambrose Dallin was a bachelor who was my Sunday school teacher for a number of years in my youth who had that ministry of encouragement. We eventually worked together a bit in our local Youth for Christ center. And he always seemed to be just stable, praying, encouraging. I can remember visiting some secondhand bookshops with him 
and him pointing out some of the heretical material I shouldn't be reading. Miss Secker uh, seemed about 80, but in reality was probably 50. You know what it is. I've no idea about her background or even what her first name was. But she was a woman in a somewhat grubby Macintosh, it has to be said, always appeared at church whenever the church doors were open. And I remember on one occasion, amongst others, when she encouraged me, I'd done a short epilogue at a youth meeting, I think it was, that there were some older people at. And she wrote me a note the next day to encourage me, but also to point out that I had not really handled the text as carefully as I should have done. I wish I still had that note. It was a model of how to positively encourage. And it did have the impact of making me look much more carefully at the words that Scripture actually says. Uh, I don't suppose people treated her at all seriously. But how vital she and Ambrose Dallin were in just my teenage upbringing in the faith. Others subsequently, my pastor my former college principal, became vital in encouraging the development of my own gifts and calling. You never know what a vital impact you can have just by saying the right word, by sticking with people at the right time. What does it mean to encourage someone? Well, it means, of course, to give them courage, to strengthen them, to enable them to keep going, to build confidence in them in particular ways. And scripture is full of this, the New Testament in particular, full of this word encouragement. It's so necessary. We all know how valuable it is from our own experience. It's a key nutrient in the soil of the growing of faith. And what I want to do this morning, ambitiously and foolishly, is uh, to take a high-level view of what Scripture says, to give you an overview, but head towards being practical. You know, you can draw a map in various ways. So you can pick up an A to Z of Peterborough and look at the very detailed street plans. Or you can take an aircraft and go up and take a high-level aerial view and you miss out on perhaps some of the details, but you get a wonderful panorama and overview. Well, we're going to take a flight, but hopefully not a flight of fancy this morning as we take that high-level view of Scripture. Scripture is constantly exhorting us to encourage one another. It makes it evident that it's a, a characteristic of the whole church, not just of a few, but the responsibility of everyone. As a church, we're meant to be a community of encouragement. Some time ago when I was working at the London Bible College, we had one of these uh, uh, professional inspections to see how we were functioning and run to get some sort of charter mark. And when the uh, person who had inspected us was feeding back to me at the end of his several days with us, he made the comment that he'd found within the college a unique culture of support. I'll take that. That was wonderful. Academic institutions aren't always cultures of support. There's a lot of competition that goes on within them amongst academics. 
different cultures between academic and administrators. They think differently. So many diversities. We could have been different. But what an encouragement that was. And what a reflection of how it ought to be according to the scripture. Here's here's just a, a few of the verses in the New Testament that speak about encouragement. The end of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, finally, strive for full restoration and encourage one another. Or when Paul writes to the Romans in that opening chapter, chapter 1 and verse 12, he says uh, he hopes to visit them. Why? So that I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. It doesn't flow just one way. There are cross currents of encouragement that are there. We read from 1 Thessalonians 5, but because there you've got it in concentrated form twice. The general exhortation in the face of people dying in the fellowship at Thessalonica. Encourage one another with the truth. But then the specific encouragement that crops up just a few verses later in chapter 5, verse 14. Encourage the disheartened. Target your encouragement to those who are in special need. Elsewhere, you'll find, uh, particularly I think in British society, negativity and grumbling and backbiting. Uh, We can never speak positively about things. uh, But in the church, we are called to be a community of encouragement. But if this is the responsibility of everyone... Scripture also recognises that it is the special gift of a few. So when Paul is writing about spiritual gifts in Romans chapter 12, for instance, we are familiar with spiritual gifts in terms of speaking in tongues or having words of knowledge or prophecy. He includes a number of uh, very practical gifts in this list in Romans 12. He talks about... uh, The gift of giving. Thank God for some fairly wealthy people, entrepreneurs who've made their money, who have that special gift of giving to the church. But in the list, he says, about those who have the gift of encouragement, if that is your gift, well, play it to the full. If it is to encourage, then encourage. Don't hold back. And the New Testament gives us some concrete examples the classic of whom is Barnabas, spoken of there in Acts chapter 4 and verse 36. Thank God for Barnabas, the Levite from Cyprus, who sold his field and brought his money into the common pot, but then from then on had a ministry of encouragement. When a new church plant took place, unauthorized, not planned by the apostles in Jerusalem, And the church authorities wanted to check it out. Thank God they sent Barnabas down to do so. What do we read? He encouraged them in the grace of God. If they'd sent a religious bureaucrat down with his tick boxes, that church plant may not have gone very far. Oh, you didn't ask us. Oh, you didn't do this. But Barnabas went down and encouraged them. And thank God that Barnabas gets involved with the one who became the Apostle Paul later on. 
when other people might have been suspicious or wanted to have held their distance from Paul because of his background. It's Barnabas who takes him under his wing and leads him on various missions. And uh, even with John Mark, the young John Mark, who doesn't have the staying power to keep up with the Apostle Paul in those early missions and falls behind. No, it's Uncle Barnabas who's there to hold him steady and to keep him going. There's been one great Barnabas in my life, uh, a man called Gilbert Kirby, who was principal of London Bible College, who if ever was a 20th century Barnabas, it was him. An ability to encourage so many, often what seemed to be harebrained schemes that people had in the evangelical world. Bringing people together across the spectrum of evangelicalism when there were disagreements. Taking risks with people. Putting folks on their feet. And encouraging them forward in ministry. We need people like Barnabas. But you know, he's not the only one in the New Testament. The New Testament actually picks out time and again people for their ministry of encouragement. They probably all did it their own way and in their own style. But the Apostle Paul is spoken of in Acts chapter 20 as encouraging the churches. Isn't a ministry that I think probably came naturally to Paul, if I'm honest. He was an A-type personality, a go-getter, alpha male. Let's go and do this, let's go and do it. You can't keep up well, tough, fall behind. And yet even Paul is picked out as somebody who encouraged and strengthened the churches. person you probably don't think much about, but that name of Tychicus not so well known, one of Paul's team is picked out not once but twice in scripture as a dear brother and faithful servant who encourages you. Probably came from Ephesus and uh, that's in the letter to the Ephesians chapter 6 and in the letter to the Colossians. He gets honourable mention as a somebody who would encourage. Uh, He's an example perhaps of someone who encourages just by visiting, by being there, by saying to those churches, listen, you matter. And you matter to the Apostle Paul, this great founding apostle who's asked me to come and see you. You are not forgotten. There have been times around the world when uh, We've been visiting some isolated Christians who don't have much contact with the outside world. And you think you have nothing to offer them because their faith seems so vibrant and tested in comparison with your own. And yet the very fact that somebody from the British church has gone to acknowledge them and just be with them and pray with them is in itself an encouragement. And that was probably... Tychicus. Timothy is mentioned as an encourager. He's to do it, says 2 Timothy 4, not just by regular public teaching. That's meant to be encouraging. It isn't always, is it? But Well, I'm sure it is here, but not elsewhere. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke. There's some stern stuff 
in there. But then says Paul to Timothy and encourage them. So it notes in the New Testament the importance of encouragement being fleshed out in individual lives. As we go on with this aerial view, we note the reasons for encouragement which uh, the Bible identifies. It, it attaches this word encouragement, not simply generally, but to specific things. Where is encouragement needed? It's not an indiscriminate activity. We'll return to that in a moment. It doesn't say encourage anything and everything, but there are particular areas where we are to encourage. We're to encourage in order that we might enable personal growth to take place. Think of Hebrews chapter 3, for example, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that you may be hardened by sin, not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I just need to have the printout of my PowerPoint slides in front of me to know what's coming up and when to click the button. (laughs) So we encourage in terms of personal development and growth in Christ. Uh, uh, To Titus, Paul encourages him to encourage others, encouraging young men to be self-controlled, not to stick with who they are, and not to say, as we often hear in churches today, oh, that's the way God has made me, I can't help it. No, no, encourage people to develop and to become mature in Christ. We'll often use the word encouragement today about tackling particular personal issues, personal problems or even mental health issues. And sometimes that requires great skill. Larry Crabb, the uh, Christian psychologist, says that if we're not careful, all we do is simply rearrange the layers of hidden hurts rather than help people to find a cure. But it's not about dealing with mental problems that the New Testament is on about, but general maturity and growth in Christ. It's particularly concerned about combating external pressures. 1 Thessalonians is the letter of encouragement. And it talks about encouraging the Christians, not because they need themselves necessarily to mature, but because of the circumstances that surround them. So they're to encourage one another in view of persecution, in view of unexpected developments in the church. Somebody dies and they had expected Christ to return before that would take place. Keep going. In the face of Christ's delayed return that we just read of in 1 Thessalonians 5. Encouragement is key. It is in fact encouragement despite all that the New Testament emphasizes. The overall objective is not to give up or even to grow weary, but as 1 Corinthians 15 puts it, to stand firm, let nothing move you. You know, that's an encouragement to me. I don't know about you. Some of us 
think it's very easy to be a Christian. And once you've made your commitment, no problems. You just go for it throughout your life. But actually the challenges that life throw up, throws up very often can destabilize our Christian faith. Personal issues in our families, illness, suffering unexpectedly, problems and disappointments perhaps even in the church, surrounded by uh, a sea of unbelief when people really think you must be weird to be a Christian. <laughs> and there are lots of challenges that want to undermine faith these days and encourage us to throw in the towel. That's why we need the encouragement to keep going and to persevere. And how thankful I am for the realism of the New Testament, that it tells us that in spite of all those circumstances, we are to encourage one another to persevere. It doesn't mean to say we're simply encouraging. There are some things that we don't encourage, and that's evil. We are to be, as 1 Corinthians 14 puts it, infants when it comes to evil and doing wrong, but mature in our thinking. So we don't just endorse and bless everything. Somebody has some absolutely heretical view in the church, we don't encourage that. <laughs> Somebody gets very rude or angry in a church meeting, we don't encourage that. Someone lives a profligate lifestyle, we don't encourage that. We are discriminating in our encouragement in order that we might fulfill its purposes. God has given us some good means of encouragement. Uh, there are tools that he's given us. And these may not be the tools that you immediately think of. God himself is the encourager. There are times when you can't rely on other people or you feel isolated and lonely and no one else perhaps is in the scene. But that's the time you can turn to the Lord who is your refuge and your rock and find him to be an encourager. The scriptures are the main means of encouragement too, as Romans 15.4 puts it. Through the endurance taught by the scriptures and the encouragement they provide so that we might have hope. Don't you find that? I do time and time again. You think you're going through this situation or you're talking with somebody who's going through that situation and then you think, oh, that's exactly what Abraham went through <laughs> or that's what David experienced. And time and time again, the realism of Scripture can be applied to our own lives and move us on, nudge us in the direction of serving God. So use the Scriptures. Somebody was saying to me this week, Say maybe that I have short-term memory problems, uh, uh, but but actually I find that whatever scripture I've read that day is sometimes the one that I'm using people with, and I I don't remember any other things. But actually, reading the scriptures day by day often will lead you to the verse that you can share with someone else by way of encouragement. Classically, Hebrews 11 talks about the heroes of the faith. Why does it do that? So that we can be encouraged. 
And Scripture also says that right doctrine is a channel of encouragement. You know, we don't encourage one another by believing rubbish. What God has revealed in Scripture needs to be the firm foundation on which we build. Otherwise, we'll be faulty. So Titus 1.9 says, hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that we can be encouraged by sound doctrine. Have you ever thought of sound doctrine as an encouragement? <laughs> it is, you know. That's why we need it. Well, let's be practical as we draw to a conclusion. What does it mean to encourage? Let me draw out four things. Firstly, it means to take risks. By its very nature, not all risks will pay off. If they were sure to deliver, they wouldn't be risks, would they? So some of your risks will fail. This is not an encouragement to be gullible, but it is an encouragement to take risks, particularly with younger people emerging in ministry or leadership or in developing in their discipleship. Barnabas took a risk with Paul. Barnabas took a risk with John Mark. It may not have paid up, paid off, but we need to invest our lives in encouraging our encouragement in some of our younger folks who have not proven, who may make mistakes, who may need sometimes to be picked up, put on their feet and... Uh, taught better ways, but oh, thank God for somebody like Gilbert Kirby, who time and time again throughout his life took risks with people when others would have written them off or said that was a crackpot scheme or a a waste of time. You know, I love the story of Gideon, how he's called to defeat uh, Israel's enemies and his very first steps in ministry is to get his mates around him and go under cover of darkness into the opposition temple where the idol gets destroyed. He isn't bold and up there and up front to begin with. He takes a step in the right direction. Somebody in the church could have said, silly boy, doesn't he really trust God? (laughs) Or they could have stood with him as they did, as his father did developing Gideon into a fine leader most of his time to deliver Israel. Speak wisely. So much about what we do is to do with speaking, isn't it? I'm amazed how much scripture talks about our tongues. The book of Proverbs, not least, telling us time and time again, uh, warning us time and time again about the way in which words can either wound or they can build up. We need to learn to speak graciously and positively so that we build people up, as Proverbs encourages us, as Paul does in Ephesians and Colossians. Always let your speech be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Watch the quips and the put-downs. Even if sometimes they're well-meaning, they may be misunderstood by others especially if they're in public. Cultivate a warm tone. Oh, it doesn't mean to say you never rebuke, but find a way of correcting which is constructive. 
always put it in the context of, well, that was great what you did, but have you thought about doing something else rather than, that was stupid. Choose the teachable moment. Put it positively. Don't overwhelm with negatives. Avoid a critical spirit and a chattering tongue. And encourage not just by spoken words, but in other ways as well. The phone call can mean quite a lot. The email, even though we have to watch that because you can't pick up the tone on an email. So we have to work hard at communicating positively in that form of communication. But the email will be great. Just like that letter I remember, that note from Miss Secker all those years ago. Find the little action, the sort of thing David was referring to at the very beginning of our service, which builds people up. Buy a book for someone who's just developing as a Christian, either on discipleship or if they're developing in gifts uh, relevant to their gift. A little gift may help to encourage them. Show empathy. Uh, The trouble with some of us who've been around in Christian circles for a long time is we've often forgotten what it's like to struggle with the early days and the initial things. I had a professor of economics at university in my first year who I remember coming into a crowded lecture room and saying uh, to the 200 of us, I think it was, who were there. So I've taught this theory so often, uh, I can't see any problems with it. I've forgotten what the difficulties are. Can you tell me? may have been a teaching technique, but I think he was probably genuine. Things become too familiar to us. We need to put ourselves back in the shoes of other people who really are going through the struggles or just learning to grow. Don't forget how much you have learned by experience, how many mistakes you used to make in the past. Don't expect people to run before they can walk. Above all, encouragement means we need to stay with people, to persevere for the long term and not to give up. Encouragement is, after all, actually only an aspect of love. And what does Paul say about love in 1 Corinthians 3.7? Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. In an instant age where we're looking for short-term results, the community of encouragement is a community that perseveres even when people fail, picks them up and puts them on their feet again and encourages them to greater growth in Christ. Time has gone. We need to close. John, back to you.